my wonderful friends, welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to BQ&A. This is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God, faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I'm Pastor Ricardo, minister to the Prospect International and Elizabeth Seventh-day Adventist Churches right here in the beautiful city of Adelaide. And I'm thankful every time that God allows us to share His Word with you today. So wherever you're tuning in, I pray that the words of God from the Bible will be a blessing to you today. Um, I just want to say hi to a good friend of mine. His name is Andrew Napora. Andrew, um, I'm sure you're listening to us today. And I know that you've been having a few health issues at the moment. And I just want you to know that we are praying for you tonight at church at Prospect. So may God bless you. May God bless you. Uh, dear listeners, the overall theme for this week is prophecy, the Bible and Nostradamus. Now, yesterday we discovered that Bible prophecy is absolutely reliable. It has been proven by history, by archaeology, and it continues to be proven um, up to this day. That gives us certainty, right, that Bible prophecies will continue to be accurately fulfilled in the future. Now, today the big question is, how specific or accurate is biblical prophecy? And to help us answer that question, I have Pastor David joining me here at the Faith FM studio today. Welcome, David. Good afternoon, uh, Ricardo. It's uh, wonderful to be with you again and um, opening the Word of God and talking and discussing. And also, I really love, um, I guess, connecting with our listeners, having the message in. And um, yeah, send us a message. What's the number, Ricardo, they would message us on? That would be 04888-80811. You can message us anytime. 04888-80811. We'd love to hear from you, and um, thank you for listening right across this country. Excellent. May God bless us today during the show. Uh, today, dear listeners, I'd like to share with you an article about um, a lot of people believing in the United States that the founders of that country wanted a Christian America, and some of them even want the government to declare one such country right now. This is an article um, I found in the Associated Press, published on February 17th, 2024. Uh, now, um, when you go to Revelation 13 and you look at verse 11, for example, it talks about a, a beast that comes from the earth. That um, We're going to read that after I read the article, but it, it talks about this power or beast that arises from the earth uh, that looks like a lamb. We believe that that is a Christian power, the United States of America. And to be more specific, Protestantism in the United States of America that emerged as a Christian power, but eventually starts to speak as a dragon. Uh, obviously, this is not the topic for today. We wouldn't have time to prove this with the Bible. But as, as I read this article, I would like you to, uh, to see how this Things or prophecies are being fulfilled or are almost ready to be fulfilled. So uh, the article says this, the US, the, sorry, the U.S. Constitution doesn't mention Christianity or any specific religion. The Declaration of Independence famously proclaims that people's rights come from a creator 
and nature's God, but doesn't spe specify who that is. Yet large numbers of Americans believe the founders intended the U.S. to be a Christian nation, and many believe it should be one. Um, such views are spe uh, especially strong among Republicans and their white evangelical base. Already such views are being voiced by supporters of Donald Trump amid his bid to recapture the presidency. The idea of a Christian America means different things to different people. Pollsters have found a wide circle of Americans who hold general God and country sentiments. But within that is a smaller, hardcore group who also check other boxes in surveys, such as that the U.S. Constitution was inspired by God and that the federal government should declare the U.S. a Christian nation, advocate Christian values, or stop enforcing the separation of church and state. So they want to enforce now uh, that church and state are no longer separate in the U.S. No division. No division, yes. Uh, for those embracing that package of beliefs, it's more likely they'll have unfavorable views toward immigrants, dismiss or downplay the impact of anti-black discrimination and believe Trump was a good or great president, according to a 2021 Pew Research Center survey. This latter group reflects a movement widely uh, called Christian nationalism, which fuses American and Christian values, symbols and identity and seeks to privilege Christianity in public life. The idea of Christian nationhood fills Americans' need for an origin story. I believe that we've come here for something special and that we've, and that we are here for God's work, said Eric McDaniel, an associate professor of government at the University of Texas. The belief connects to other beliefs, past and present, from the manifest destiny doctrine that justified continental conquest Conquest, uh, conquest, sorry, to Trump's America first and make America great again slogans, said McDaniel. Trump has echoed some of these ideas, vowing to bar immigrants who, quote unquote, don't like our religion. Republican House Speaker Mike Johnson has proclaimed that America is and was founded as a Christian nation and that Thomas Jefferson was divinely inspired in his writing of the Declaration of Independence, according to a 2015 sermon that drew wider attention with his recent election as Speaker. A lawsuit on its behalf is challenging the Washington Metropolitan Area Transit Authority's refusal to run its bus ads tooting the purported beliefs of founders. Vocal supporters of Trump have described current politics as spiritual warfare for the destiny of a country that former Trump aide Steve Bannon described as the New Jerusalem and conservative activist Charlie Kirk said was founded by courageous Bible-believing Christians. Recent Texas, Oklahoma, and Kentucky Republican Party platforms proclaim the country was founded on Judeo-Christian principles. Reverend Robert Jeffress, pastor of First Baptist Church of Dallas, cited founder John Jay, the first Supreme Court Chief Justice, asserting it was Americans' duty in our Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their rulers. Jeffress 
said he doesn't believe America is privileged by God, but, as with any nation, God will continue to bless America to the extent that we follow him, he said. The belief in America's Christian origins is mainstream. These are the statistics or results of the surveys. Six in ten U.S. adults said the founders intended America to be a Christian nation, according to a 2022 Pew Research Center survey. About 45% said the U.S. should be a Christian nation. Four in five white evangelical Protestants agreed with each assertion. So what we're seeing here, dear listeners, is uh, there is a movement in the United States uh, trying to to basically force everyone in America to respect and abide by Christian values. It may sound good, but God is not in the business of forcing people into obedience. I keep reading. By some measures, Democratic President Joe Biden might be seen in that category as well, citing the importance of his Catholic faith and calling for God's, for God's blessings on America and its, and its troops but also invoking shared values, whether you're Christian, whether you're Jewish, Hindu, Muslim, Buddhist, or any other faith, or no faith at all. One-third of U.S. adults surveyed in 2023 said God intended America to be a promised land for European Christians to set an example to the world, according to a public religion research institute, uh, uh, Brookings report, report. And it finishes by saying the Constitution prohibits any religious test for office and its first amendment bars congressional establishment of any religion along with guaranteeing free exercise of uh, religion now um, this movement uh, this is trying to um, to get church and state working together so that a church, the church, the Protestant churches in America can make use of the government to basically enforce uh, Christian beliefs on everyone. That that is that goes against uh, church and state separation. I've got a book here called "Could It Really Happen?" by Marvin Moore, and he says on page one fifty one that um, Thomas Jefferson said. I contemplate with sovereign reverence that act of the whole American people which declared that their legislature should make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, thus building a, listen carefully, a wall of separation, thus building a wall of separation between church and state. And please notice that Jefferson's comment about a wall of separation between church and state followed immediately after his citation of the religion clauses of the First Amendment. So uh, Thomas Jefferson clearly understood that the First Amendment was about church and state separation. He, he did, didn't he? Yes. And so, Ricardo, you mentioned um, that, uh, that when we look at Revelation chapter 13, the very last book of Scripture, mm-hmm. um, the book that means the, uh, the apocalypse, the uncovering of Jesus mm-hmm. Christ, um, essentially, we see this beautiful gospel picture of of world events and history and future, and we we see that Jesus is victor. But before we see that Jesus is victor and that He is vindicated mm-hmm. and that His people are, are preserved and and rescued, um, the whole book ends with Jesus saying, "I'm coming back quickly." Amen. 
um, even so come Lord Jesus, it yes, says. Yes. But before um, we get to the end of the book, mm-hmm. there's some pretty dramatic chapters that occur mm-hmm. in there, aren't there? Mm-hmm. And, and you highlighted Revelation chapter 13. And Revelation chapter 13, um, uh, in fact, the whole of Revelation and, and a number of prophetic books use symbolism. And yes. some of that's already been touched on this week. Um, and, and often we, uh, we find animals representing different world powers, etc., mm. or beasts, if you like. And Revelation 13, 11, I don't know if that's what you wanted me to read, Ricardo, but it says, yes. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, another kingdom, in other words, mm-hmm. coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. And, um, you know, there's symbolism here because... Uh, dragons don't speak. Right. And um, if I had the option of two pets in my backyard, a dragon or a lamb, I'd take the lamb any time, wouldn't <laughs> yeah. you? Yes, of course. And, and <laughs> so we have a, an animal that's relatively docile, mm-hmm. uh, somewhat domesticated it can be, mm. friendly, and a dragon that is nasty, scary, pow- all-powerful, mm. whereas a lamb is not powerful. A lamb is potentially quite vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And so here we have a picture. When we, and as you say, there's no time to unpack all of this chapter mm-hmm. and what everything means. But the first part of the chapter, verses 1 to 10, points to a, a religious uh, and a political power through mm-hmm. medieval history mm-hmm. uh, that sought to oppress God's people. Yes. And, that, uh, and it's predicted that um, as time comes closer to the end, that this power will and has risen again to even greater heights. Mm-hmm. But then in verse 11, as I said, you've got this uh, John's in vision. He sees a beast coming up out of the earth. A beast represents a kingdom or a mm-hmm. power. Uh, coming up out of the earth. And so in Revelation chapter 13, there's this first power that comes up out of the sea. Mm-hmm. And uh, this one here in chapter 13, verse 11, comes out of the earth. Yes. And uh, what do those two symbolize, Ricardo? Well, we believe the first one, the one that uh, came out of the sea, represents the papacy. There's a lot of evidence, and, and Seventh-day Adventists are not the only ones that believe this. This was believed by the reformers, even uh, from the Middle Ages. And um, this sea beast or papacy, according to prophecy, receives a deadly wound. So it stopped doing what it was doing during the Middle Ages. It stopped stopped um, persecuting uh, people who would not align with their uh, with her dogmas or beliefs. Now, the second beast arising from the earth comes to the rescue to to help uh, to help heal the the deadly wound of this first beast, the papacy. We believe the second beast that arises from the earth, this beast that that looks like a lamb, is Protestantism in the United States. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So there's a play on land and water, uh, mm. and in scripture, in prophetic scripture, often we find where water's mentioned, uh, an animal that comes out of the water is a highly populated area. Exactly. And, and so, um, conversely, an, an animal or a power that comes out of the earth, the opposite to water, is is some area that's not as densely populated. That's right. And so. This second beast in Revelation chapter 13, verse 11 and onwards, uh, is lamb-like, mm. placid, it's gentle. Christian. Uh, it's Christian, because, and that's a very good point. And we can say it's Christian because 
in um, in the book of Revelation, um, we come across the word lamb 29 times. Mm. 28 of those refer to Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, he's the lamb slain from the foundation That's of the right. world, and it just goes on. Um, so 28 of the 29 occurrences of the word lamb in Revelation refer to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Only once in Revelation do we come across a lamb not referring to Jesus. And it's here in Revelation chapter 13. But mm-hmm. it has, it begins its, its journey as a nation, as a power, mm-hmm. with Christian-like characteristics. Definitely. And um, certainly we know that the United States, um, you know, one of the key reasons um, uh, many um, people left Europe was so they could worship in freedom. Mm-hmm. And so the United States certainly was a religious country. Yes. But yes, then we yes. find it um, ending up speaking like a dragon. So there's a transition and a change. Definitely. We can see that in the article that I was reading. We can see that, that, that tendency, the trend, it's, it's happening already. And so that, that, um, that separation of church and state, mm. uh, there are forces and powers, if you like, and people that are trying to diminish that separation mm-hmm. and um, use force... That's right. To command um, worship. Exactly. Because it's a good thing to have Christian values. But when we cross the line and we start using force to, uh, you know, to force people to abide by those beliefs, then we are behaving like Satan does, that, like the dragon. Like a dragon. And, yeah. and we know in Revelation that a dragon represents Satan. So yes. this, this creature, this power, if you like, in Revelation 13 verse 11, looks Christ-like. Mm-hmm. Looks Christian, but there is a change, mm-hmm. and it ends up speaking like Satan, like a dragon. Yes. And so, uh, this is all about prophecy, and some of mm-hmm. it is still yet to be fulfilled. Correct? Yes. But yes, yes. but when um, when many people understood that this power represented Protestant uh, America, which is a lot of it yet future, when it was first, um, I guess, taught and advocated. There was no way anyone would would accept it because America was a a country that didn't want to dominate. They yes. they kept to themselves. They were an isolationist country, if you like. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in time, we've seen them become a world policeman on on a mm-hmm. military front and a security front. But it says they're gonna. It's going to speak like a dragon. Yes. And, and so, just mm-hmm. when we talk about force. You know, removing a separation of church and state might be one thing, but then when you are forcing people to worship, as you've said, you're doing the work of Satan. Mm-hmm. And so Revelation chapter 13, um, in verse um, 15, mm-hmm. says, He was granted power, this, this, this authority was granted power mm-hmm. to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. So there is force involved there is force. here. There is compulsion force. and threatening, mm. uh, and the threatening of death. Yes, the ultimate. And Satan is the one that that threatens like this. That's right. That's his method. Mm. We can see prophecy being fulfilled. And yes, of course, dear listeners, if you would like to know more about Bible prophecy, I'm running a Bible seminar every Friday at 6 p.m. at Prospect Seventh-day Adventist Church Hall. The address is 7 Ballville Street, Prospect. And um, every Friday at 6 p.m., you're more than welcome to join us. And I'm sure you'll be uh, amazed at what Bible prophecy actually says. It's time for a break now. 
Let's listen to a song by Fernando Ortega. The song is Give Me Jesus.
was Fernando Ortega with Give Me Jesus. And indeed, if we have Jesus, we have everything, literally. Um, our giveaway this week is the book Four Winds of Revelation by Kenneth Cox. Um, really, really, really good book. Um, all you need to do to get a free copy of this book is text the code SA204 to 04888808. I'll repeat, the code is SA204. Two zero four. Just type in the code. Don't 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 include any other words like thank you or please. Just S A two zero four. No spaces in between. To the number o four triple eight eight o eight eleven. And as we mentioned before, we would love to hear from you. Uh, your comments, your feedback, your prayer requests, um, questions, anything at any time. And if it's during the show, that'll be wonderful so we can try and reply to your question. The number is again 04888808. And uh, Four Winds of Revelation, that's a really good book by Kenneth Cox. You cannot turn your TV on or open your internet browser without the next catastrophe hitting you in the face, right? The toll taken by natural disasters, flooding, fires, droughts, tornadoes, and more grows worse each year. The world seems to be coming apart. More than 2,000 years ago, the Bible predicted that all of this would happen. In fact, that was the, the very same Jesus in Matthew 24 who said all these things would happen. So if the Bible was right about this, then what did it say would happen next? In Four Winds of Revelation, Pastor Kenneth Cox examines what the Bible says about the crisis that we are facing and shares what it tells us about the future. Should you be afraid? The Bible offers hope, which is the second coming of Jesus. So why do you wait any longer? Just text the code SA204 to 04888808. This program is made possible by the support of Adventist World Radio. Welcome back, dear friends. You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time BQ&A right across Australia with Pastor Ricardo. My co-host today is Pastor David, and this week we are following the theme, Prophecy, the Bible, and Nostradamus. And the big question for today is, how specific is biblical prophecy? So, David, how specific or, or accurate is uh, do you think Bible prophecy is? Look, I think extremely accurate, Ricardo. And I, I think let's set a little bit of a scene first. And um, mm. hopefully our listeners have been on the journey uh, mm. the entire week and will remain the entire week with us on the Drive Time program. If not, you can uh, go to the App Store and download the Faith FM app. Mm-hmm. And you can look up all your favorite Faith FM shows and tune in to Drive Time as well to catch up on missed uh, episodes. So, yes, indeed. Just to give a little bit of a picture. Uh, unlike Confucius or, or Muhammad or any of these individuals, Buddha or anyone like that, we serve a God and we love a God who knows the future. He knows the the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. In fact, mm. in the book of Isaiah, chapter 46, verses 9 and 10, we read these words and it says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God, there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasures. So here we have a God that says, I know the beginning from the end, I can declare everything. 
So when we worship the God of heaven, we're worshiping someone who, who, who is all-knowing. But but what is the purpose of prophecy? And, you know, one of the key things with prophecy are many predictions that are made, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, the purpose of prophecy, I believe Jesus says quite clearly, um, is is found in John chapter 14, 29. Mm-hmm. He says, And now I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. That's so right. I don't think we should look, have our Bible in one hand solely and a newspaper in the other or the internet in the other. Mm-hmm. Now, there is value in seeing what's happening in world events, as we've already done this afternoon. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, the purpose of prophecy is uh, predictions that are made hundreds and hundreds of years prior, in some cases, before events actually took place. And Jesus is telling his disciples in John uh, chapter 14 that when these prophecies are fulfilled, that gives you confidence and certainty mm-hmm. of what was predicted. In other words, it yes. gives us even more confidence in the Word of God. So that the prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled will be fulfilled yeah, accurately Yeah, a- well. absolutely. And, and, you know, one author has suggested there's about 2,500 prophecies in the Bible, right? Mm-hmm. And he has also said that about 2,000 mm-hmm. of those have been fulfilled. Now, I haven't gone through and counted, so, so don't say that, you know, Pastor David or Pastor Ricardo said there's two and a half thousand prophecies in the Bible. But they're literally, there'd be, there'd be a couple of thousand. Yeah, it sounds about right. Yeah, and the majority would have been fulfilled. Mm-hmm. So there are still a number and some big ones that are yet to be fulfilled. But as we go back and study the Word of God and we see um, how specific some of these prophecies were fulfilled hundreds of years after they were predicted in some cases, then we have confidence for the yes. future. So, Ricardo, let's, let's dig in and uh, look at a couple of examples. And, and um, you know, you think about it. There's 2,500 prophecies in the Bible. All we're do- going to do is pick four or five or six. Mm. <laughs> there are so many powerful ones that could support what we, what we might want to look at. So let's, let's go on a journey with our listeners and... Um, into the Word of God as well. I guess a very simple one, uh, and there are many prophecies that revolve around Jesus' first coming, the advent mm. of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, etc., and his ministry on earth. One of those is found in an Old Testament book called Micah. And I'm not sure, Ricardo, whether you have that there. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And um, Micah chapter 5, it's an Old Testament book. Tell me when you get mm. there. Yes. And Uh, if you can read Micah 5, verse 2. Yes, of course. It says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrata, though you are a little, sorry, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Okay, so this is really really a powerful verse, right? Yes. This is telling yes, us that yes, out yes. of a place called Bethlehem, and we'll unpack that in a little bit, out of a place called Bethlehem, there will be one that comes from everlasting. Mm-hmm. This is predicting the, the village, the town where Jesus would be born. Why? Because Jesus is fully God. Jesus comes from old, from everlasting. Yes, yes, very oh, specific. Very there, specific. There were two Bethlehems, and he, that, it specifies which one of them. Ex- now, that's really that critical, right? To. That's the second part. Mm. So, Bethlehem means house of bread, mm. and there are t- at least two Bethlehems in, in this biblical region. Mm-hmm. 
And which one was the one that was predicted? Bethlehem Ephrata. Bethlehem Ephrata, which is we find is just below Jerusalem. The other mm-hmm. Bethlehem is further up in Israel, further north. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's like um, uh, today I was in a meeting with uh, five people, and three of us were Davids. <laughs> right now, it's a fairly common name, right? But and so Bethlehem had a level of commonality. It's, it's a town in, 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 in Israel and Judah at, t- at least twice, two, two towns. Mm. Now, the author, Micah, who writes about 700 years before Jesus mm. was born, um, he was specific in, in the prediction that God had given him because it was, he didn't live to see the fulfillment. Mm-hmm. God told um, Micah to write which Bethlehem. He could have just left it as Bethlehem, mm. but he was so specific. Bethlehem in Ephrata. Yes. And what else does it say? Though you were little among the little among the nations, yet out of you, the ruler will come forth. And Bethlehem, uh, where Jesus was born, Bethlehem, the, the city of uh, where David was came from as well, was small. Mm-hmm. So that's that's just one classic example, Ricardo, of a prophecy that is so specific. And 700 years later, it Jesus happens. was born in the right Bethlehem, mm-hmm. and he comes from everlasting. So that's Amazing. that's one example, mm. but there are more. Um, Jesus clearly grew up, and uh, we know that he was filled with uh, wisdom and grew in stature and everything, and the Holy Spirit uh, filled him. But in the book of Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 11 Verses 12 and 13. Um, we find something uh, incredible here. Zechariah 11, verses 12 and 13. I'm wondering if you can read that for us. Yes, 11, 12, and 13. Um, then I said to them, If it is agreeable to you, give me my wages, and if not, refrain. So they weighed out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, Throw it to the Potter, that princely price they set on me. So I took the thirty pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter. Okay, so this um, this is written um, five centuries before Jesus. We're talking mm. five hundred years, and this is pointing forward to to the um, betrayal of Jesus. Correct? Yes. Uh, and we know who the betrayer is, mm-hmm. Judas. Judas. You don't often hear of a someone called Judas. No. But um, in Matthew chapter 27, we we find this story of, of Judas. Mm-hmm. And then it says in verse 3, it says, Then Judas, his betrayer, Jesus' betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver mm-hmm. to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by portraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. And listen to this. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hung himself. And then we find what they did with those pieces Uh of silver. The Jews, the Jewish priests, it says, but the chief priest, verse 6 of chapter 27 of Matthew, the priests took the silver pieces. How many were there, Ricardo? 30 pieces of 30, silver. according to Zechariah. Exactly the same amount. Exactly the same. Matthew says 30 pieces. Um, the, the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, it is not lawful to put them into the treasury because mm. they are the price of blood. Mm. 
and they consulted together and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. <laughs> Amazing. That's really... So, in Zechariah, what did it say about what would uh, be done with uh, the silver? It says here in verse 13, And the Lord said to me, Throw it to the, prof- sorry, to the potter, that princely price they set on me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter. So, and we've just read Matthew 27. So there's 500 years between <laughs> what Zechariah wrote, mm. uh, Zechariah wrote and what, what Matthew writes. Yes. And it exactly happened. Mm. Judas accepted 30 pieces of silver to betray mm. the Savior of the world. Yes. 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave. Mm-hmm. And when he realized that, um, well, we presumably, we believe that um, he had hoped that he was trying to force Jesus' hand to, to show his card and become uh, the ruler of the earth, if you like, a, a mm-hmm. human ruler. But Jesus' kingdom was not of this world. And when he saw that Jesus didn't fight back against the Romans, didn't get rid of the oppressors, because Jesus' mission was to come and be uh, a sacrifice for our sins, to be our saviour. When he saw that Jesus didn't fulfill his own desires, then he went into them, he returned the money, remorseful he was, he mm. threw it, just exactly like Zacharias says, and it was for a potter's field. Wow. Now, I don't know about you. <laughs> Maybe if I knew you really well, Ricardo, and uh-huh. I knew your routine, I could probably predict something that you might do if I watched you for six months, right, which would be a bit weird, and if I saw everything that you did mm. and I looked for patterns, right. I might be able to predict what you might do for a week uh-huh. with a level of accuracy, hopefully. Yes. Uh-huh. But imagine 500 years before you were born, if I lived oh. back then, and I talked about someone called Ricardo that would mm. do a certain thing, and 500 years later you'd do that very thing. That's impossible. The, the amount... 30 pieces. How specific is that? Mm. And we're really talking about uh, how specific Bible prophecy is. Yes. So we're talking about 30 pieces Mm. of silver. Um, We're talking about a betrayal. Mm. We're talking about him returning the money. Now, how many people would return money? (laughs) Returning the money. It's very unlikely to start start off with. And then what did he do when he returned the money? He threw it down. Yes. The same action. The same right. action. And he had no control over what the, the Jewish yes. priests would do with the money. Correct. So there's more people, more, uh, yeah, more variables in the equation here. Exactly. Mm. There are so many more variables. Now, the Jewish priests could have said, let's put it in our treasury. Mm-hmm. Let's put it in the bank. Mm. But instead, they bought a field, a potter's field, for the burial of poor people, which fulfills exactly what was written 500 years before. So I don't know about you, Ricardo, but I praise God that as we look through some of these prophecies, and we're not going to get through too many, but as we look through them and we, we see how, um, how clearly they're fulfilled, we can thank God and we can praise God. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Time for a break. Let's listen to a song by Chris Rice, and the song is Oh for a Thousand Tongues. A 
thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace. And if I had a thousand tongues, still I could never sing Master and my God, assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the earth abroad the honors of thy name. And if I had a thousand tongues, still I could never sing enough. Jesus, the name that charms our fears, that bids our sorrow cease. Tis music in the sinner's ears, tis life and health and peace. And if I had a thousand tongues, still I could never sing enough. He breaks the power of Cancelled sin, he sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean, his blood availed for me. And if I had a thousand tongues, still I could never sing enough. Hear him, ye deaf, his praise, ye dumb. Chris Rice, Oh, for a Thousand Tongues. Our giveaway for this week is the book Four Winds of Revelation by Kenneth Cox. All you need to do to get a free copy is text the code SA204, SA for South Australia, 204. No spaces in between, no extra words, just SA204. Text that in to 04888808811 and use that number as well for your questions, comments, feedback, anything, anytime. We would be delighted to hear about you. And uh, the, the book Four Winds of Revelation by Kenneth Coggs um, talks about all these things that were foretold in Bible prophecy, especially Matthew 24 by Jesus himself, but it gives us hope. Hope in the Second Coming of Jesus. It's a beautiful book you should all have in your bookshelves, but not only there, but also you should read it. 
really encouraging. Text that number um, uh, just uh, to 04888-808-11. The code is SA204. This program is made possible by the support of Adventist World Radio. Welcome back, dear friends. You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time BQ&A. This is Pastor Ricardo, your co-host, sorry, your host for today. And joining me in the studio as a co-host is Pastor David. And this week we are exploring the theme, Prophecy, the Bible and Nostradamus. And the big question we've been dealing with today is how specific or how accurate Bible prophecy is. And I think we've, we've had, uh, a taste of that already. Pastor David, what else can we um, talk about, about the, the, the accuracy of the Bible? Yeah, well, let's just go back to that first prophecy about um, a prediction uh, 700 years before Jesus was born, predicting mm. where he would be born in Bethlehem, Ephrata. Mm-hmm. A- and um, some mathematicians, Ricardo, have said for this to be actually fulfilled, which it was. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Ephrata, but for this prophecy to be fulfilled, the chance of its fulfillment, the probability mm. of the chance of fulfillment is 1 in 10 to the power of 5. Now, do you want to mm. explain to our listeners what that means, 1 in 10 to the power of 5? That is a very, very low chance of happening, really. Uh, so uh, 10 to the power of 5, that is uh, 100,000. And to say that the chances of that prophecy being fulfilled is one in one hundred thousand, it would be like like me asking you, okay, um, I'm going to think of a number between one and one hundred thousand, and for someone to be able to guess, and you that. need to guess it in your first attempt. First attempt. That is the, that is how likely it is for that to happen. And, and you know, there are mathematicians that have put. Um, you know, the probabilities on a lot of these prophecies, and some of them are even far harder, right? The probability, mm. it, it, it blows of out course, even further. Because this is talking about just one of the prophecies, but when you talk about 300 prophecies about Jesus, imagine all of those prophecies with that probability being combined now. Exactly. And and the last one we spoke about, which was um, Zechariah, you know, um, 30 pieces of silver, um, Jesus being betrayed, and this is 700 years, uh, 500 years prior, mm. and, and, and then the money being thrown and it yes. being used for a potter's field. Well, that's fulfilled in Matthew 27, and the probability of chance of fulfillment is 1 in 10 to the power of 11. Oh. Imagine a 1 with 11 zeros. Yes. And and anyone trying to guess the number that I'm thinking of between 1 and that big number. Wow. First it's attempt. Phenomenal. Hey, Ricardo, we need to keep moving. Mm-hmm. Some examples for the specific... Specif- the specifics, I'll get it right, of uh, how accurate Bible prophecy is. And um, if we turn to the book of Isaiah, mm-hmm. and Isaiah chapter 44, and just to give some context, we're going to read verse 28 um, very shortly, but uh, we find that God's people mm. um, had been taken captive from Jerusalem. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar had come and had, um, uh, t- uh, you know, destroyed three occasions. He, he attacked Jerusalem and he took people captive. And yes. many of them were taken back to Babylon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I guess they were, yeah, refugees, if you like, or taken there. And, um, they're in captivity for 70 years. Mm-hmm. Well, when we get to, um, Isaiah 44, 
we come across a bit of a story about their deliverance. Yes. And Isaiah is written 700 years um, before um, Jesus, and it's written about 200 to 250 years before um, Babylon became a world mm. power and before God's people were deported, if you like. So Isaiah 44, verse 28, if you would. Verse 28, it says, Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he shall perform all my pleasure, saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built, and to the temple, your foundation shall be laid. So God declares someone who is going to be born 200 and 250 years prior to their birth, he actually names what their name will be. Amazing. Um, and he says they're obviously a leader, they're a powerful person. They're going to become a shepherd of God's uh, God's people, mm-hmm. and it's going to have reference to God's temple in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Now we know that in about what six hundred five BC, um, Babylon, Babylon destroyed Jerusalem and God's temple. Mm-hmm. God's people are taken into captive. Let's go to chapter forty five though. And verse uh, 1, if you can read that for us, please. Verse 1 says, Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him and loose the armor of kings, to open before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. So God's people have been taken captive uh, to Babylon. They've been resettled. Seventy years have transpired. And there's a prophecy on that. The book of Jeremiah predicts that mm-hmm. they'd be in captivity for 70 years, mm-hmm. and that came to fulfillment. Unpack this for us, Ricardo. What's happening here mm-hmm. in chapter 45 of Isaiah uh, in relation to God's people and Cyrus? This is, this is amazing. It talks about the double doors. Um, Babylon was a very, very strong city. It had double walls, and in some areas even triple walls. And obviously, uh, huge walls so wide that chariots would go on top of those walls. And when you have double walls, you have double doors as well. This prophecy is for, uh, foretelling what uh, Cyrus did at that time when they conquered, when the Medo Persians conquered Babylon, because they um, deviated the waters of the river Euphrates that was going through the city. The middle of the city, yeah. Yeah, and it, so the level went down and they were able to walk under the first wall and they found the doors of the second door open. So it, this is this is amazing. It's describing the double doors being opened. Yes, and, and so this is, uh, I said probably 250, it's probably 150. 150, 150 years um, before it actually occurred. Yes. And not only does it predict the downfall of Babylon, the world superpower, if you like, in, in that region of the world, the superpower, but also this impenetrable city of Babylon. It was just a sheer fortress. It was the Fort Knox. Mm. As you said, double walls. Um, yes. It was heavily fortified. Yes. And yet... No one would believe that. No one would believe yeah. it. And... As you said, Cyrus diverted the, the, the water course, the, the Euphrates River that ran through the city. They're able to go under the first lot of gates uh, in, 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 through the riverbed that had been drained and mm. second doors were left unlocked, correct? Mm. A- and the other beautiful thing here, one, God never forgets his people. Mm. They were taken into captivity because of their disobedience, but God does not forget them. Mm. Um, and he predicted in advance that they would be freed. Mm-hmm. He predicted who would actually do it, their name. By name, 
Yes. And, I mean, it's not just any Cyrus, but it's Cyrus who would be a commander of a nation, a leader of a nation that would do that. And what we read in verse um, chapter 44, chapter 44, verse 28, is that God is predicting there that Cyrus would also be responsible for giving um, commands for Jerusalem to be rebuilt after the Babylonians had destroyed it, Mm -hmm. and also, importantly, uh, the temple foundations being relayed. Mm-hmm. So there's Which some beautiful predictions here, mm. specific. Uh, Ricardo, I want to touch on one other one really briefly, and, and we, we won't get to finish this, but this is an amazing one. Mm-hmm. In, in the book of Ezekiel, we have a story of Tyre. And uh, Tyre, uh, we would find the ruins, if you like, uh, would be in in um, south of Beirut by about 80 kilometres. And okay. Tyre, Tyre was the New York of the ancient world. It was a huge trading area. They were known for being mariners, sea mariners, and, and you know, massive trade. In fact, Solomon uh, got assistance from King Hiram from Tyre in building boats and all sorts of things. So it was a very rich city. Mm-hmm. Well, um I'm wondering if you can wear, uh, sorry, read, I should say, not wear, Ezekiel (laughs) chapter 26, verses 7 to 11. 7 to 11. It says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will bring against Tyre from the north Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, king of kings, with horses, with chariots, and with horsemen, and an army with many people. He will slay with the sword your daughter, villages in the fields, he will heap up a siege mound against you, build a wall against you, and raise a defense against you. He will direct his battering rams against your walls, and with his axes he will break down your towers. Because of the abundance of his horses, their dust will cover you. Your walls will shake at the noise of the horsemen, the wagons, and the chariots when he enters your gates, as men enter a city that has been breached. With the hooves of his horses, he will trample all your streets. He will slay your people by the sword, and your strong pillars will fall to the ground. And so this is exactly what um, Nebuchadnezzar, his name was given. This is exactly what Nebuchadnezzar did. But the Mm. prophecy continues in uh, Ezekiel 26, verse 3, Mm -hmm. where it says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Tyre, and will cause many nations, not just Babylon, but many Mm. nations to come up against you. And we know from history, Mm -hmm. and we could spend half an hour just on this one Mm. alone. So many details. We know that from history that Alexander the Great came, a couple of hundred years after Nebuchadnezzar, mm. and he, um, uh, the, the people from Tyre, when Nebuchadnezzar came, they got in their boats and they went about 800 metres off the coast and built a new Tyre on an island. Mm-hmm. When Alexander the Great comes, the ruins are still in old Tyre, and he decides to throw all those ruins, all the rubble, into the sea and make a causeway, the 800, 900 metre causeway, from the old tyre that Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed, throwing everything in the sea so his troops could get out there to the island and defeat mm. new tyre. Now, Ezekiel 26, 3 and 4 tells us that uh, God will scrape her dust from her and make her like the top of a rock. And that's what, that's exactly what Alexander the Great did. All the rubble that had been left from the city mm. that Nebuchadnezzar destroyed was taken, swept clean, if you like, mm. put into the sea to make a causeway so Alexander the Great could come and get rid of that's the a new time. great deal of detail there. 
absolutely yeah, specific. You cannot guess that. So we can wholeheartedly trust the Word of God. Excellent. So it looks like our time is up for today. Thank you, David, for all that um, amazing information that really, really um, gives us uh, encouragement uh, in, in the Bible, in Bible prophecy. Uh, let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for helping us uh, build our faith in Bible prophecy. We know for sure that all those prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled will be fulfilled accurately because you said it. Thank you, Lord, for not um, leaving us in darkness about the times that we're living in. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in. This was Pastor Ricardo and Pastor David. Please join us tomorrow for another Drive Time BQ&A show. We will look at what Jesus himself thought about biblical prophecy. Until then, remember that God said, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Isaiah 40, verse 8. May God bless you richly. This program has been made possible by the support of Adventist World Radio. 